Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brand Your Practice podcast, where we get to learn about branding and marketing and scaling your practice. I'm Brent Stutzman. Today, we're going to be talking about three ways to build a healthy culture in a group practice. And to help me do that is Vanessa Scaringi and Catherine Garland. They are co-owners of Calm Counseling in Austin, Texas. Welcome to the show, Vanessa and Catherine. Thanks, Thanks. for having Thanks us. For having us. So we're going to be talking about the three ways to build a healthy culture and a group practice. But first you mentioned, uh, in the show notes before, as you, as we were talking a little bit too, is you guys are in a transition period where you are starting to see less clients and focusing more on the business. And I'm curious as kind of a way of introducing yourselves, um, like what was the tipping point for you guys to make that decision? Yeah, I think, um, we had, we had thought some consulting with some other therapists and I think we had been forewarned that that was always going to be, if you're, if you grow, that's where you have to head. And we resisted it for a long time. Um, but I think having, now we have nine therapists that work for us and, um, want, you know, part of the healthy culture is being able to meet with them and check in with them and have team meetings and things like that. And, um, there are just a, so many hours in a day. It just, the writing was on the wall that we had to start, um, scaling back a little individually. Yeah. So what was Wait. kind of, so what were you at before? And then, yeah. So Catherine, maybe you can talk about where you guys were at before and like, what's kind of the goal. Cause I know that's the hardest part is actually getting your client load down to those levels that you want. So you can focus on the business. Absolutely. And I feel like I, I can tell on myself by saying that I am the more resistant of the two in terms of doing the, taking the steps to actually reduce caseload. Um, and we're still sort of in the process of that. I think just to piggyback off what Vanessa was saying, we, we found ourselves during the pandemic growing to such a great degree and then sort of hit a point in which much like with seeing clients, um, just got very used to doing a lot of the administrative and business pieces in addition to seeing a heavy client load, but then found that there were areas where we were really kind of neglecting things that needed to happen or feeling like things were piling up. And the smart thing to do, obviously, was to get help and to kind of redistribute um, where we were putting our energy. And I would say that probably over the last couple of months, we've, we started to kind of not take new clients for sure. And, um, folks who kind of moved to other places during the pandemic, we're transitioning them to providers who are, you know, closer to where they ended up and, um, and just trying to kind of lessen caseload through kind of natural attrition and then being strategic about, um, not seeing new clients. Got it. And Vanessa, how do you know how, you know, it's very unique for two people to come in and, and co-found a practice. Um, mm -hmm. so I'm curious, you know, if the yin yang, how do you actually divide, you know, use your strengths and kind of divide up responsibilities. If you can just kind of give a brief overview for our listeners of how you've actually set that up. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny. We actually talk about our business. Like if we didn't have a, a partner, it would just crumble. I don't know how solo practitioners set up their own like group practice. It just seems exhausting. Um, honestly, it, some of it just happens really naturally, um, in terms of our strengths, like you were saying. 
And um, the way we, I think what we do is we try to have intentional sit downs and divide and conquer, like, Hey, I'm going to tackle these things. We try to communicate about that. Um, and then some of it just happens naturally. I tend to be a little bit more um, interested in like the marketing and maintaining some of that, um, that piece. And I think uh, Kate's really good at addressing like the business side, some of just the business side of things that have to be done. And so um, I'll tend to be out and about and she'll, you know, we'll come together and tag team. What did you do? What did I do? Um, so sitting down, honestly, having just like a week meeting, weekly meeting, um, has been hard to set aside, but very crucial in being able to, um, make sure we're managing and keeping things afloat. Yeah. That weekly meeting cadence is really important. Um, I'm working with a couple of my, my partnership clients now. It's like, you're, you've grown really fast and sometimes you can be the victim of your own success. But one way you can actually get healthy is having that weekly cadence. Like you got to get everyone on the same page, like everybody from your intake coordinator to your clinicians, to mm -hmm. clinical directors, whatever it might be, they all have to be on the same. And that meeting is or one or two meetings a week are really important. And it's interesting because that's just difficult for a lot of therapists because one, they're, they're busy, <laughs> they're seeing clients and that's never been part of the culture. So yeah. maybe as a segue into building a healthy culture, uh, why don't you go ahead and jump into your first point and, you know, Catherine or Vanessa, you can take it away, how to build a healthy culture. I was thinking as you were talking, um, part of what, when Vanessa uses the word kind of it, things organically happened, that really was what happened is that Vanessa and I, um, have a really good friendship in addition to business relationship and that culture piece, and then sort of attracting people to work within calm that have kind of a shared, um, mindset, therapeutic philosophy. Um, those were all things that really, um, drew Vanessa and I toward each other. We kind of met, um, I was sharing office space or I was renting office space from her and we had worked at the same eating disorder center, um, not at the same period of time and just immediately sort of had a shared perspective on that place and uh, our feelings about how to treat clients. Um, and that has just kind of grown into, yeah, having, you know, 12 people, 12 great people in this practice together. Um, so that authenticity piece, um, I don't know that you can manufacture that if it, that there is kind of a, like we joke about being sort of a, we're, you know, married, <laughs> married working relationship oh, um, yeah, where there's just like, you know, where you just intuitively know like, okay, well, I need to do this thing and you're really good at this thing. If there's a therapist that needs consultation, if Vanessa's with her kids and, you know, not uh, at the practice that day and I'm available, I'll jump on the phone with somebody or I'll talk to them and then vice versa. If I'm kind of mired in household things and taking care of other responsibilities, she, she takes the, the load. Well, that's really important. And yeah, it, you can't manufacture authenticity. I, you know, I've been around people for a while and even before I jumped into doing marketing, I was in pastoral ministry in the local church. So working with people and you can always tell who are, who, who are, who's, who are people who are comfortable in their own skin? You know what I mean? Like not like we all, you know, you know, we all wear masks in, in a way. Right. But there's some people who are 
who have less masks or layers that you have to peel through. Um, and I can tell you guys already have, like you're very comfortable <laughs> with each other, even in the podcast and in our pre-roll talk, uh, comfortably. And so that, 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 but people long for that, right? People yeah. are attracted. Usually people who are comfortable in their own skin have done their own therapy work, who've actually yeah. done the own work of themselves. And people are absolutely attracted to that. Because, mm -hmm. I think people in a lot of ways are attracted to health. Like I want that in some way. Mm -hmm. But so you're right. You can't manu manufacture authenticity, but I mean, there's ways you can work on it. So I'm curious yeah. Yeah, if you want to add anything else to the authenticity piece. Oh, well, you, I think hit the nail on the head for us is doing your own therapy work as therapists, you know, um, having, you know, being able to be self-aware, knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses, um, knowing also being intentional about where you want the business to go, you know, what hiring people who are right for, for you and for your business at that time. Um, I think, yeah, you can't, you can't really fabricate it, but working on it. I mean, I, I use my, I'm in, I don't know, four kinds of therapy a week. I don't know at this point, but like, <laughs> and I, I use all of those places to really suss out, um, what's right for, for the practice, for me, for my, you know, work-life balance, um, in a genuine way. And I do think people are drawn to that. I think our clinicians, um, have often found us because they were, you know, leaving agencies or wanting to be more authentic in how they're showing up for their family or their, you know, just being able to be in the world and not feeling run down. Um, so I do think people are, we, we, I think we attract people who are in a place um, like that in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about, you know, having a plan and where to go. I'm curious, how are you communicating those things? As you know, authenticity does come with like, this is, this is who we are as a practice and this mm -hmm. is where we're going as a practice. So I'm curious, like what conversations you're having around that and making sure your team's on the same page. I think we're, um, you know, we try to be intentional about saying when we are in a, in a mindset of like trying to figure it out and, um, be clear with being clear with our associate therapist when that's the case, or when we're curious about growing or trying different projects. Um, they're really people who we kind of, we look for their insight around those things. We're curious what their thoughts are. Um, would you say that's true, Vanessa? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, we, we give them, you know, we, I think it's important that they, um, like we're driving the ship or whatever the analogy is and we know where we're going, so to speak, but we're also, um, wanting to know if that feels right for them and, um, making sure that everyone feels like they're aware and on the same page. Um, I, we talked about, I don't know, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but, um, that we treat everyone. How did we phrase it? Like they're, um, or we're in a beginner mindset, you know, that we're always seeking support and guidance and, um, that we don't have all the answers and that we want, um, we want this to feel like a collegial collaborative workspace. Um, I, some of my background is working in an agency at a, um, college counseling center. And I, I don't think I had any other experience, um, that was as warm. It was kind of the stars aligned. It was a college counseling centers have shifted a little bit, but, um, it felt so like 
I felt like I was important on the team. I felt like people really cared about what I said and clinically, but also just in terms of the, the, the whole agency um, setup. So I think we also want our clinicians to feel that way. And um, that's, and that's genuine to who we are. I think we're, we're both very collaborative individuals. And as we've grown, we've, we've needed to, um, we've come to some of our therapists who have been with us the longest and asked them, what would it be like if your role kind of shifted into something that was more of a team lead or had different responsibilities? Is that something you'd be interested in? In order for us to grow, we need to have that scaffolding. We need to have um, the whole team involved in that. So they've definitely been a part of our intentions with the business and what our plans are. Yeah. And how are you? So this is a structural question then. So how are you guys structured right now? You guys are the co-founders and then, yeah. What does your team look like? Do you want, well, we do have, we have a a senior therapist role and those are folks who are, um, have been doing this really a long time who are, um, able to supervise and, um, express an interest in that. So we hope that we can build on those skills and those desires. And we also have team leads. And those are folks who have been with us a really long time, know the culture of the practice, do a lot of our um, just onboarding with other clinicians. Um, they do a lot of also the the social kind of chair position of getting us together and collaborating and um, meeting in just kind of a fun way. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, a team of four at that at that kind of echelon. And then also it helps the therapists that are a bit younger than us help us with like social media things that we know very little about and are trying, trying our hardest to figure out. Yeah. I've given up on social media. Like it's like, we used to lean a lot into it, you know, and it's, I don't know. I feel like a lot of it's a dumpster fire these days. And it's, it's a uh, week. I, I could spend a whole podcast <laughs> venting, venting on the, on social media, but, um, yeah, it's true. <laughs> we do see a lot of, we see a lot of teens and it's good to get good messaging out there to kind of combat yeah. some of the yeah. not so great messaging. Right. Mm-hmm. As long as, uh, you know, as long as TikTok or Instagram, uh, will actually show your, content to them. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they may not want to show good Fingers content crossed. that's positive and upgrade because they that's not very what they true. Want to see. That's not <laughs> what gets them the numbers. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. right. Well, um, okay. So we talked a little bit about authenticity. I love the structure on that. I think that's a great way to kind of get everyone on the same page and provide some extra support, especially to the younger ones and onboarding and building some culture that way with like making sure you guys are getting together outside of office hours, or at least everything's not always clinical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if Vanessa, if you wanted to take us into the next point, you guys were looking to discuss on how, three ways to build a healthy culture in a group practice. Yeah, we, um, you know, I think always having a beginner mindset is something that it, it, it coincides with authenticity. Cause I think it just um, is natural to who Kate and I are and um, always wanting to make sure we're doing you know, some right by our therapist doing what's best, um, in terms of the work that we do and making sure that, um, everyone is aware that we don't have all the answers and that we look to other, you know, group practices or, um, we've gotten, we've sought, um, business coaching, we've sought, um, just consultation. And, um, I think, I think that also makes us approachable as, as 
bosses. I'm putting that in air quotes. I know we're on a podcast, but um, yes. it's a, it's a hard, it, it is a hard uh, role to step into, especially as therapists. We're so aware of power differentials and things like that. And we don't want to come across as like the, we rule with an iron fist at all. We want to make sure our clinicians um, know that we don't think we know everything and that we're open to ideas. And we have, you know, therapists who approach us with their own ideas and feel, I think, comfortable and safe doing so. And um, I think that makes people want to stick around. And in this world um, where relationships are so important, having a, a staff and, and um, a group of therapists who stay is so valuable and creates that culture. Um, and so I think being approachable and knowing that they can come to us um, for anything is super useful. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, I think like being parents also makes it as a therapist and as a business owner, your personal and professional life, um, are hard to have strictly defined. Um, especially during a pandemic where maybe you're, you know, working and your kid is coming in and asking you for help with their math homework or whatever it is. Um, we, that was always a part of us working so well together was just supporting each other in early childhood, um, raising kids at that stage. And it, that just forces you also into a beginner's mindset because obviously you're doing things for the first time and your, your clinicians are seeing you kind of juggle and struggle and, you know, do these, those things. And we generally hire people who are kind of in a similar position um, that who are trying to either juggle parenthood or uh, new clinicians in the field who are in that beginner mindset of just, we're learning so much and we're needing a lot of support. Um, and, you know, as uh, my kids are getting older and they're really quick to tell me when I, that I don't know everything and that I don't have it all figured out and it's, it's humbling and it's important to always kind of stay in that, in that mindset. Cause it's, you know, that's true of all of us. Hmm. What's been the hardest thing about kind of instituting this beginner's mindset in your practice? Because I can imagine there's a lot of people in your practice have a lot of great ideas, but they're not always the right fit, you know, for you, your practice. I'm curious, like what's, I imagine that's probably a difficulty. Like, Hey, I got this, I got this, all these ideas. And it's like, if you say yes to everything, then you become completely overwhelmed. But that's just one thing I have. I don't know if that's some, a similar problem you guys are having, or is there another kind of challenge you're, you're experiencing as it relates to that beginner mindset in your practice? Well, I think, um, sorry, Kate, I was, uh, I was thinking about being, um, I, I do group therapy. I facilitate a group and, um, I, you know, I think being able to allow space for any sense of disappointment or, you know, any, we're therapists. So any feelings that might come up with the um, decisions that we're making or the path that we're taking, um, and planting the seed that they might want to go in a different direction, like all of that is welcomed. And, um, we also, you know, do have a, we are the ones that are running the business and, um, ostensibly in charge, but I think we don't, we don't want anyone to feel like they're, um, being shut down. So I think the way that we approach those conversations is with openness and, uh, you know, this idea that we, we have another idea, we have a different direction that we want to go in and, um, 
the idea of having a lot of these conversations, sorry, before we hire, I think is also useful too, is for them to know where we want to go and for us to know where they want to go. So that not that we would um, avoid those kinds of things, but that we might have the idea of, oh, this person might not be the best fit for us if they want to do X, Y, or Z eventually. Yeah. And I was just going to add to that, you know, that is one of those moments where it's really helpful to be co-founders, co-owners, um, because we have to tell each other no about certain things. We're always having to right. compromise. You know, there's no, there's no one expert mindset who is, you know, condoning or condemning, um, ideas that come about. So I think just that, that kind of, uh, the heart of our practice is, um, is joint. It is collaborative. It is, um, having to make decisions together. So that's not something like we are turned down in certain ideas as much as anyone else would necessarily be. Obviously we have the, the final say, but I think we're both uh, very comfortable with telling each other no, or saying, eh, I don't know if that's right for right now, but we could do something, you know, maybe down the line or that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we move on, is there anything else you want to add to having that beginner mindset as being part of building a healthy culture? We don't know. We don't have the answers. Yeah. Okay. We're just the beginners. <laughs> we're just beginners. <laughs> well, okay. So let's go ahead. Uh, we're going to be hearing about that third way to build a healthy culture in a group practice. But first, this message. Before we go on, I want to remind the listeners about a free resource that you can take advantage of today. Look, there's a lot of mental health professionals who want to start their own practice, but don't know where to begin. Well, after launching and relaunching over 12 private practices around the country, I've taken the majority of the guesswork out of starting a practice in this free step-by-step -step guide. If you go to brandyourpractice.com checklist right now, you can download it for free. It's the checklist I use when I partner with other mental health professionals to launch their practice. And it's the checklist I use in my masterminds to help guide other practice owners in launching their practices. And here's why this step-by-step -step checklist is so valuable. Inside of the guide, there are links to dozens of free how-to videos that I've created to help you along the way. Here's the deal. Every pilot follows a pre-flight checklist before they launch an airplane into the air. If you're going to launch your practice, you don't have to fly blind. Download my free launch checklist today. Just go to brandyourpractice.com slash checklist. Okay, well, welcome back. So I've been talking to Vanessa and Catherine from Calm Counseling in Austin. I love that name, by the way. That's a really... Great, bravo on the name. Calm Counseling in Austin, Texas, about, about three ways to build a healthy culture in a group practice. And now we're on the final point. So who would like to um, take take away for the, to jump in and share? Oh, Vanessa, I think this one's you. Me? Yeah. Um, okay. So yes, um, <laughs> investing in, in people. Um, so we, I we want to be a place where people want to work. Um, and I think for a lot of our clinicians, they have worked at agencies where they haven't felt valued. 
And I think off the right off the the bat, we want people to know that we um, we value them. So our percentage split with our therapist is probably a bit higher um, than some other group practices in town. Um, and we, we from the from the jump want people to know that we are we we reimburse for trainings up to a certain point. Um, you know things like CEUs and uh, consultation. We offer free consultation weekly. Um, and different, we have other uh, capabilities within the practice for training experiences, but um, we want people to know that we invest in our own, you know, CEUs that are high quality and um, conferences and therapy. And so we want people to feel like they have the space and space to do that. Um, and we also, you know, we're toying with the idea of doing some profit sharing down the road. But I think if people feel like they're valued on the team that they they do they show up authentically they stick around um so it, it just helps maintain that culture and that's yeah, such oh, okay a, i got a bunch of questions on this <laughs> so oh go ahead go ahead Catherine. Yeah. i was just gonna say that that's a, that's a that's such a premise that we we really we work relationally as we've said probably a few times and that is a major component of, of our hiring and our um, employing people is that we want them to stick around. We really like building relationships, long-term therapy work um, with our clients. And we really want that to be mirrored in our, in how our practice runs. Right. And that's absolutely true. And practice owners are having to pivot in the way they um, provide that value and be creative with, the percentage splits and benefits and that type of thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I would love to sit with this for a little bit. It, are you able to share, would you be willing to share like, what is your percentage split, how you break that down? Cause I know a lot of group practice owners would just love to know. We're always curious, you know, we're always sure. curious about these things. Yeah. I think um, I actually listened to the podcast that you had that someone did the, the research, gathered all the stats and um, it was all over the place for, for yeah. different practices. Yeah. Um, and it's, that's true in Austin as well. Um, so we do, we do a start out at a 60, 40 split. Um, and so our therapists obviously get 60 and we get 40 mm -hmm. and we go up from there. And so that depends on, um, different training experience that folks have and, um, also how long they've been with us. And, um, like, I, I mean, it's, it's, easy when someone comes to you and wants a raise um if they've been there long and they're dedicated to the work and they um you know want they show up in a way that's they're getting they, they keep their clients for a really long time so um we we like being able to go up from there and we go up to 70. okay and is mm -hmm. there uh so thank you for sharing that is there mm -hmm. sort of like hey if you know if you want to get to 70 well let me ask are you guys 1099s or w2s W2. We're W2s. W2s. Okay, great. And then uh, are you guys private pay, insurance-based? What's what's your... We're private pay. We um, try to slide where we can and mm -hmm. create yeah. some um, accessibility there. Obviously, we can help people with super bills if they have insurance. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, right. primarily... I always think pay. you can actually be... You can be way more generous and if you're private pay than you are with insurance. Yeah. Um, cause I, I talked to practice and I was like, well, I, you know, I have a heart for 
you know, for people low income or want to be able to, I'm like, look, you're going to be able to do that a whole lot easier <laughs> if you're private yeah. pay than if you're going to try to do insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all, and even like, even with, with Medicaid and things like that, it's mm-hmm. anyways, that's another thing. So that's great. So you have a couple of really good things going for you, W2s. So you can actually control that culture more and ask mm-hmm. people to be a part of meetings and, you know, mm-hmm. you can actually own that time yeah. and tell and get more direction. Yeah. That was a hard transition, but we we did that right before the pandemic and we're so glad we did. Yeah. That's the whole 1099 thing. I'm doing a little, I did a deep dive on it and I'm, going to be doing a little, I got to talk to another lawyer and get them on the podcast. Cause it seems like it looks like, uh, the way we treat our contractors are a whole lot more like employees mm-hmm. <laughs> and that can just be dangerous for the business and Absolutely. for the actual contractors too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that you have, a, that's a good split. Um, uh, case consultations. Have you guys dabbled into the benefits world a little bit? Are your clinicians asking for like health or a 401k or something like that? So we do offer um, an IRA, a simple IRA. Um, And we, you know, that's one of those things where we've grown a lot in the last couple of years. And we're thinking about, you know, what would be valuable to people. And I think we have, would you say like half of the clinicians are are participating in the, yeah, Mm -hmm. in the IRA? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is it, we, is it a 401k or is it an IRA? It's, it's an IRA. Simple. Yeah. It's a, simple. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. you just deposit money into their IRA then or something yes. like that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, we did a bunch of research, um, on the onset and, you know, it's just more expensive to have the, the 401k. Um, and it's also a lot to manage and we were, it's a lot. Yeah. Sort of, it's a little more to manage. And this is, right. I mean, no pen. It's just really simple. Um, and there has to be a little bit of longevity with us before, um, being able to participate in that. Cause we match at the end months? of the year. Yeah. Is that um, six months or a year employment or we had a, I think it's a, it's about it. It's varied. I and think we were always changing. Um, initially it was just like, if you want to do it, let's do it. And then we've had some new hires. And so, yeah, if you've been with us probably about a year, then that's something that, um, we'd love for people to participate in. Yeah. That's really, that's really important. What, what have you been thinking about profit sharing? Like thinking through that? Cause that's a really interesting concept too. Yeah, it is above our pay grade. We had to outsource for this. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> we initially spoke to another practice who gave us the idea and we were like, that sounds like such a cool way to, um, not just at the end of the year, give someone a bonus, but like throughout the year, be able to reward, Hey, we can tell that this is how much you're bringing into the business. And we would like to reward that on a quarterly basis. Um, so we're, we have a numbers person who's helping us crunch all of that. Cause again, not our forte. Sure. Um, but we're hoping that we can roll that out for those senior level clinicians starting next year. Um, and so, yeah, it would just mean that quarterly we, um, are able to pay out, you know, reflective of how much they're bringing in a little bit of extra cash. Got it. Is that like a percentage mm-hmm. of what they bring in? Or if it's so like, if they bring in over 13,000 a year or 13,000 a month or something like that, they get like a $500 bonus or something. I think it would be a percentage. Yeah. But that's, a percentage, um, okay. And, you know, just to like, not to be too touchy feely, but to bring it back to sort of the relational piece the, you know, the W2 is about security for people, right? That like, mm-hmm. I, I liked what you were saying about that, that it really does make them feel a sense of 
uh, belonging and um, that this is their, you know, if they We've had a couple of clinicians who wanted, needed to buy homes and it was really helpful in that process um, in terms of getting approved by a lender. And, um, and then the profit sharing is about their value to us. Like the, yeah. we see their efforts, we see how hard they're working um, and we want them to feel that, that growth along with the practice and feel invested as we are in them. Mm, yeah. One last question. This is now I'm just curious. Are, are you, so you said it's a percentage split and not a salary W2 mm -hmm. salary, right? Right. Okay. Have you That's guys right. ever thought about doing salaries? We toy with it. I think, um, it's so variable how much we bring in in a given month, you know, based mm -hmm. on it's, we can predict it to some degree. And so it's really having the, um, the ability to predict that we won't, we won't be paying people beyond what we're bringing in has been mm -hmm. incredibly useful. Yeah. I could see, you know, shifting that one day if we've um, had more predictability and stability, um, which we're getting towards, but um, we've only been, I mean, we started in 2018 um, nice. and we started just with two clinicians. So, um, you know, we're, as we grow, we're sort of learning, um, also what people value. And I think that, um, I could see people valuing that, but also, um, I think people enjoy being able to, well, for now I say this, it could shift, but, um, have flexibility in their schedule. You know, we have a lot of clinicians who enjoy being able to travel and, um, you know, maybe see clients while they're re remotely, but maybe not and maternity leave and things like that. And, um, I mean, I can imagine a world where they would really enjoy getting paid for some of that, but not having to restrict it is also really nice too. Right. Right. And that, that's great that you're offering that much. I mean, it sounds like calm counseling would be a wonderful place to work. I'm curious, what kind of feedback do you hear from your clinicians as far as the culture, the benefits, I mean, the mindset, I mean, all those things, that's what, what would you say is kind of this reoccurring theme that comes up as you have as you communicate with them or do reviews with them or whatever that might be, what are you hearing from them? Well, they, a lot of them send their friends to work for us. So <laughs> that's a good sign. That's, yeah. huge. That, that's huge. Yeah. I, so you know, I, I think, um, I had a supervisor a long time ago talk about the therapy work. You know, if you do good therapy work, then you always have an abundance of clients because the work can speak for itself. And I think the same is true in terms of the business. If you, um, operate, you know, the, the golden rule in a way that you want to be treated, um, that people will enjoy working with you. And so, yeah, we've had a lot of our therapists come from their friends like, Hey, I, my friend from grad school is transitioning and, um, that's been really rewarding. It just helps build that culture. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and people, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. sorry. Um, and then people who, you know, we're friendly with therapists who have worked for us and then they've gone out onto their own into private practice. And that that's, I feel like that's the biggest testament to if you're, if you're really doing things right, or if people are happy within your practice is that you can stay, friends and colleagues, um, after they branch off and, and do their own thing. Mm -hmm. And we, we tell people you know, early on, like even in the uh, interview process, we want you to grow. We understand that you might not be here forever. And obviously we would love for that to happen. And, 
people, you, a lot of times it does happen that people stick around, uh, for quite some time. Um, but, but I think that that's part of the benefit of moving slowly as we do in our work as therapists is that when we meet people, when we hire people, we take our time to kind of have a few kind of informal coffee, sit down, come to the office, let's get to know you. Um, and it also, you know, again, helps to have the two of us that we're both using our intuition on, is this person going to be a good fit? Are they going to be happy here? Um, and I, I think that usually by the time we're having sit downs with folks who we've hired and kind of checking in with them, there's not really any surprises because we're, we're pretty connected to them and we had a, a, a good sense of it would work out well. Um, so obviously, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of complaints. I don't, I think that they would tell us if they did have issues yeah. that came up because we're, you know, we are friendly and, um, uh, welcoming of all kinds of feedback. Yeah. Well, the fact that they are referring friends to you to work for you is probably the biggest compliment because as I work with lots of practice owners, hiring is definitely probably the biggest thing to do. The hardest mm -hmm. thing it's finding good talent, uh, to bring to hire is if, uh, because a lot of therapists don't have their own kind of networks, uh, mm -hmm. themselves or professional networks and how to hire. So what you it sounds like with, without even asking, well, I don't know, maybe you do, but they're, you're, you're, they are utilizing their own networks to be able to bring wonderful clinicians to come work at calm, which is huge. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, yeah, that's really great. Yeah, we're grateful for that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We have been, I would say lucky, but it's also intentional, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the fruit of like the labor that you're putting into building yeah. culture, right? Like yeah. that, um, that's a huge benefit, a huge benefit mm -hmm. to you guys. Uh, before we close out, I'm just curious if you could share what's sort of like the next big thing you guys are thinking about right now that you'd be feel comfortable sharing. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's, um, no jinxies. <laughs> I'm thinking about just what we were talking about with clinicians sticking around. You know, we have now therapists in different parts of the country, and I think we're trying to build that piece of our practice a little bit more, um, build sort of a more of a national um, capability. I don't know, you know, how that will, um, really pan out, but Kate and I are in the eating disorder world and, um, I'm a certified eating disorder specialist supervisor, which is a mouthful. Um, but being able to connect with other clinicians that are doing this kind of work. And, um, I think being able to have more of that nationally would be, is sort of our goal. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. We Catherine, have our would you, would you concur? <laughs> yes, I do. I do concur. I think we have, we're, we're trying out a lot of new things right now. I would say Vanessa, right? Where we've, oh, we, yeah. we're at field placement for, um, Boston university this year. And that was a new, we're kind of venturing into different, you know, what does it feel like to have an intern work mm, for yes. our practice and, mm -hmm. um, We've been talking about doing more business consulting ourselves. Like there, there are kind of things on the burner that we're, we're cooking up yeah. slowly. Exciting. Slow cook. Well, that's great. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. Yeah. I'm always curious what's on the minds of, uh, practice owners and their entrepreneurial spirit. So thanks for sharing yeah. that. Well, yeah. how can, 
Well, Hal, uh, thanks for joining uh, on me with on the podcast today. I'm curious, where can listeners go and find out more about you guys? Um, yeah, our website is uh, www.keepcalmatx.com. Um, and emailing us, uh, Vanessa at Keep Calm ATX, or you're Catherine at Keep Calm ATX. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would probably be the easiest. Great. Well, all right, folks. Thank you for listening. If you found the conversation useful, please subscribe to the podcast and join me again for the next time on the Brand Your Practice podcast.